Welcome to the Mission City Church Podcast. My name is Jake Eichert, and I am the Community Groups and Creative Director at Mission City Church, as well as the host of this podcast. Each week, you can find full-length sermons, five-minute sermon breakdowns, and inspiring conversations with guests about discipleship, current events, local outreach, and more. Our mission as a church is to make Jesus known, and we pray that this podcast does just that for you. If it does, please subscribe and share. But for now, please enjoy this episode of the Mission City Church Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the Mission City Church Podcast Thursday edition. I'm excited to continue our series over the Great Commission. Uh, last week we talked about a number of different things and I was, as, I, was, I was listening back to that and just hearing as I was kind of editing and stuff, there are a number of questions that kind of came up in my mind and so this week we're going to take another week to do a part two to our Great Commission discussion, talk about a little bit more into the details of what it is, where we're going with it, what it means to us today, and some of the challenges that we face. Um, and I'm joined again uh, by Russell Schultz, the lead pastor of Mission City Church, uh, to help have that conversation. So, Russell, what's up, man? How are you doing? Oh, just in the midst of moving. My house is a mass of chaos with boxes. It's beautiful. Well, we appreciate you making the time to uh, jump on the podcast today. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's see. I had a couple of things. Number one, as I was listening back, I, I noticed, and I remember this from previous conversations, I talked a little bit about the idea of the gospel being compelling, and then I remembered that you really don't love that word. You don't love the uh, the word compelling. The gospel? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, thankfully, I, I believe that you love the gospel. But I the do. word compelling, yeah, it's not your favorite thing. Yeah, uh I just feel like the, when people use the word compelling, I just don't know what the rules are. Like, who's determining like what parameters like that makes it compelling? Mm. Um, and so, if someone says, "Well, that's just not compelling enough," I'm like, "To who?" You know, like, because it's compelling to me. And so, just because, like, it's like it's almost like subjective versus objective. Right. Like, people are like, "My the way what I, what I think is compelling is objectively true," versus where I'm like. Are you sure that's the right measures to, to make something compelling? So now if you can argue it, that's fine. But it's like just to use the word compelling and it's something's not compelling enough, that's stupid. All right. We'll let Merriam and Webster know and we can just throw that out of the dictionary. The word's not wrong. I'm just saying <laughs> I think it's just misuse. Like, like I think to say like what makes this compelling, don't mind that usage at all. I think it's great. Sure. That's not compelling enough. Uh, that's that's not helpful. Okay, I got you. Okay, fair enough. Well, uh, to go along with some words that maybe we don't like or that we want to also rewrite, I thought it would be helpful. One of the challenges to sharing the gospel in our day and age is that we've kind of created a, a what is you know lovingly referred to as Christianese, or we almost have this separate set of words and things that are either archaic or uh, are only used in church and they make it really difficult to really have conversations about these things uh, about spiritual things when all the words that you know how to relate to them are words that nobody outside of the church would really understand if that makes sense or wouldn't say it like that we've got one of those that I'm like can we just please stop saying this we're speaking a different language exactly we're speaking a different language so here's how I want to do this I'm going to say a phrase or a word and I want you to give me the Christian, how what it means. So give me the give me the definition of it, and then I'm gonna give you. You're gonna be the dictionary. I'm gonna be the the thesaurus. So you give me the definition, and then I'll give you the real way that we should say it in community in culture. And this is completely unscripted. We did not do any practice of this, so it's all off the cuff. Okay, you ready? Well, hopefully, I know what these words mean. I, I'm sure that you do. Okay, first off, 
your favorite word from last week or your favorite phrase, win people to Christ. What does win people to Christ mean, Russell? <laughs> win people to Christ. Um, it means that you have shared the gospel with someone. You shared the good news of Jesus, the message of, of him to, let's say, a, a person, and that they respond positively in, in faith. And when you've done that, they've been saved by God and then thus being one to Christ. Okay. That was confusing too. It was. So here's here's maybe a, the, the, the source version. Here's a different way to say this. Uh, instead of you won someone to Christ, I would say that you have shared the love of Jesus with someone and they have responded to that love and the Holy Spirit. Wow, I can't even do it. I can't even describe. It. This is the this is the problem. We're going to get into this. This is actually an enlightening. I want, us I want on... a shot at it. I want a shot. Okay, at take this. a shot. Take Sorry. a shot to, to win someone to Christ. Yes, you have shared the message of Jesus that He is Lord and that He died and rose again for the forgiveness of the sins of the world, and someone wants to follow Him as King and receive His forgiveness. Love it. Perfect. Thank you. Yes, that's the layman's terms. Thank you for for doing that. I, you you maybe you should have that job. I'll be the dictionary. You be the, the thesaurus. You, you speak better Christianese than I do. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> I'm annoyed with myself because I thought I was going to be good at that. <laughs> no, this is what I do but, for a living. This but is this my, is this, this is perfect, right? This is the exact reason why we want to do this because sometimes even as believers, we almost don't know how to say these things without using words and phrases that people don't understand. Uh, yeah, and so, then an even simpler version of that is is. Someone began following Jesus. Boom. Okay, <laughs> great. Someone began following Jesus. It's not your win anyway. Uh, all right, next word is evangelize. So I'm completely unchurched. I have no idea. What the heck does evangelize mean? Yeah, that just means to to intentionally share the good news of Jesus or the gospel of Jesus Christ with the lost around you. Okay, so... To evangelize is to share, period. <laughs> I was trying to think of like a one word um, just as a, but it's, it's. I mean, it's a word that obviously has so much meaning to it, but it's, it's really just that I'm going to go and tell. It's, it's really just telling good news. Is yeah, what it is. it's because going to tell it, good news. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, the, the gospel is... Uh, the English word we get is from a, a very similar sounding Greek word. I won't say it on the on the podcast, but um, but that base word just means good news, yeah. and so uh, which is what the that's what the gospel is is good news. And so we have the, something that's been given to us as good news. Yeah. We're going to go and tell that good news to someone else. Yeah, and I I do think I would say you're talking about words to stop using. Like evangelism is a word where you. Especially now in the twenty first century, it's like it maybe in church circles it's fine, like you can use it. But like if you're if you're having a conversation, um, like you could use the word have spiritual conversations. Um, even the word gospel is, I mean, that's it's a word that we don't know what it means, right? And yeah. so that's why we often say good news um, as opposed to saying, "Hey, you need to share the gospel." We say, "You need to share the good news of Jesus," right. because it is it's it is good news to us. Yeah. Okay. Uh, two more. Disciple. What does it mean to disciple? We kind of talked about this a little bit last week, but go ahead. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I can even put it in layman's terms, but basically, it's a you're apprenticing yourself to Jesus is what you're doing. Interning. Interning. There you go. 
intern of Jesus, learning how to operate the company, learning how to uh, just continue in, I guess, learning the way to follow uh, and to obey. So learning uh, obedience. All right. Last one. And this is the one that I most hope that we can figure out a way to just erase from all Christian vocabulary to love on. What does it mean to love on someone, Russell? I don't know. And keep in mind, this is a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Just to care for people. <laughs> just to just stop using it. <laughs> yeah. It's not even worth out. it. Just stop. We're out on love I can't, on. I, you know, I'm just going to love on. I mean, yeah, I can't even, I can't even go down the road. Without, it, it just yeah. All right, cool. Let's. I think I don't know. That might have been a flop of a segment. We'll see. We'll get some feedback on that. See if we want to keep doing some of those uh, Christianese thesaurus dictionary uh, segments. I'm going to recap last week just some of the things that we talked about with the Great Commission, and then we'll get into part two of what we want to talk about today. Uh, so we talked about this idea of the call to make disciples, the Great Commission that comes from Matthew 28. And we agree that it is for everyone. If you are not experiencing uh, opportunities in your life to go and not only share this good news uh, that you've received, we'll put this in the most simple terms possible, but to share this good news that you've received, or uh, not just share it for the first time with someone, but to remind someone of the good news, to intern them, to disciple them, to apprentice them to Jesus, make a disciple of them, uh, then you are missing out on the fullness of the Christian experience. You're missing out on what it means to follow Jesus in a, in a whole sense. You might have most of it, or you might have some of it, but, but there's a part of it that's missing for you. Um, we all share that responsibility as believers. Uh, it took someone to make a disciple of you. So that's a good starting point. Like if, if you need some motivation, if you need a compelling reason to go and share, it's because someone made a disciple of you. Uh, we today struggle with this sometimes. We struggle to make disciples because A, we haven't been discipled or our strategies are archaic. That's something that we talked about last week. Uh, and we should try to be more conversation-based as opposed to using language or strategies that make no sense to people that aren't involved in church or don't know what we're talking about. Um, evangelism is not about fulfilling a task or doing a good deed. It's about loving people. At the end of the day, we want to share good news with someone because we want them to not believe because we're super spiritual or it's going to count as a, you know, we're going to get a bigger mansion in heaven someday or whatever, anything like that. It's that we literally have been saved by grace. We've been brought from darkness into light, that there's been a, a spiritual life-changing experience that's taken place for us. And I want people that I care about to know about that and to experience that too. That's, that's the... The motivation, that's the compelling reason for us to go and share. Uh, that is evangelism. That's telling good news. Uh, finally, there are different offices inside the church that help make disciples. Some of us are more gifted in going and telling. We're just more outgoing or we're more extroverted people that just really enjoy having these conversations and going and telling. Some of us like to sit and care for people. We like to, you know, hey, if you've got something going on in your life, I want to sit with you. I want to walk through that with you. I will be there in the tough moments uh, and I will love all with you. I will love you and your family as you walk through this. I will teach you. Uh, there's a teacher position. I will, you know, uh, uh, there's five different offices, but there's different roles that we all play. Doesn't mean that we don't have the uh, responsibility like we talked about to go and share. Everybody has that, but we also all have different gifts and different strengths in building disciples. And it takes all of us inside the body to make that happen. Okay. Russell, did I forget anything? Is there anything you want to add to that? 
I don't think so. That was a great, that was a great recap. Okay, thank you. Uh, all right, let's jump into this and some new topics for today. So uh, something that you probably have heard if you are used to church, uh, this is another one of those churchy words or phrases that nobody uses outside of the church, but unreached people groups. So you, we talked about this, an unreached people group is less than 2%. Is that the case? Yeah, so it would be less than 2% uh, Christian in an area. And I, I want to, I almost want to say they take it to the, to the extreme of less than 2% evangelical. I might be wrong about that, but if yeah. it's, but at baseline, less than 2% Christian. And if it's under that, then it's unreached. Uh, and then if it is, um, uh, and I think, I actually think it extends to less than 2% evangelical Christians in the area. Okay. And so. the reason why is because they would say, uh, the people that are smarter than us have more research done than us, whatever would say that if there are less than 2% of the population that are believing, professing evangelical Christians, then the, the gospel really doesn't have a, a way to sustain itself. It's not going to continue to grow. It's not going to be shared enough right. to make a difference in the population. There needs to be there. there 2% two, 2 is the, like the cultural grab that somebody did research on years ago that would say that this could bear, like it could be rooted and then grow out of. Yeah. And so, which I, you know, I, again, I'm not like my background is not like in missiology or like the study of missions or, uh, and so I'm not, I'm not as well versed in like knowing the arguments. I do know there's, there are people that argue about those numbers and they argue about the strategy alongside of that too. Yeah. So, and, and, and a large portion of these, I think, I think, I don't know. I'm just kind of pulling this number up, but I, I think recently I saw there's something like 90, nations or unre what's considered unreached people groups or you know a, an, an ethnicity that is unreached by the gospel would be less than two percent of their population yeah uh, that is evangelical so uh, and a lot of these identify in our next kind of topic here in this 1040 window which I'm going to need you to fill in some gaps for me here. The 1040 window is something to do with the latitude or longitude latitude. It's got to be latitude. Uh, and it's this area of the country and uh, mostly, I want to say, Asia, Europe. Uh, it's like Western Asia or Southwestern Asia, Eastern Europe kind of area. Uh, India is part of the 1041, but it's an area that has the largest percentage of unreached people groups in it. If you... You know, if you want to just forget everything I just said, it's just the area that has the largest, the window in the world map that has the largest amount of unreached people groups. Yeah, so it's a it's a phrase that's coined uh, by this missionary uh, in the '90s, Lewis Bush. Uh, it's the region of the Eastern Hemisphere plus uh, European and African parts of Western Hemisphere, located between ten uh, and ten and forty degrees north of the equator, um, and so. That's that's huge, but it's a lot of the Middle East. It's a lot of, um, I mean, it's all of South Asia, uh, and then there's a little bit of it's it's beginning to, to to kind of peek into like southern parts of um, Spain and France and yeah as well. So so here's the reason I bring this up because I think this is fascinating to me, and I actually started to have this conversation with a friend earlier this week, um, and I'm I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it. It blows my mind that that area is so much closer to where the gospel originated from, where Jesus actually died, where the church actually began in Jerusalem. Uh, it's, you know, we I think we just talked about uh, or looked up that in Israel, we're, they're right at 2% Christian, which is like the, the area where, you know, it's the nation of Israel is where our entire Old Testament comes from. That area of the world is where Jesus walked when he was alive. And yet 
we on the other side of the world uh, would not be considered an unreached people group. There's debate as to how reached or how Christian our nation actually is, but we would be considered a reached people group. How does that happen? How does the neighboring country or, you know, close by not be, how are they not reached, but we are? Yeah, I mean, probably at one time they were reached, but then if you it, you think just about world history, it, it kind of shows you how they, they wouldn't have been. So, um, you know, the apostles, they go out, they do go out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to all the different parts of the world. Uh, we're studying Paul's missionary journeys through Acts right now, and so a lot of his, his, his travel is through either West Asia, like Southwest Asia, or most of it, though, is in Southern Europe as well. And so he's going into the Roman empire and he's going to, he's taking the good news of Jesus all around to that area. Um, and then, you know, like Thomas, I think he goes into India. And so there's d- these different people that, that do make it over there, but primarily the work and the success that we see in the early scriptures is in, uh, you know, around the Mediterranean sea. And so, and then what else happens, right? So Christianity is illegal by narrow and a around 100, and then in about 300, it becomes legal in the Roman Empire, the greatest empire in the world at that time. And so it's able to flourish. It flourishes in persecution, but then it also flourishes in legality. Uh, and then, you know, you go from there. Imp- different empires take over. It moves, you know, move into the medieval church after 500, into all the way to 1,000 or 1,200. I can't remember when medieval times start. But then... We didn't talk about this in our our pre-talk, but I I was just thinking about, think about the crusades that existed there. So you have some other, you know, there's still Judaism that exists. Mm -hmm. There's still Christianity. There's still an Arab world that kind of exists there based from the descendants of Ishmael that uh, Islam comes out of. And then you start having these holy wars. And some, uh, the reason why it's, uh, it, uh, ultimately didn't stay there is because the Christians lost the, some of those holy wars. <laughs> and who, yeah. who were those? It was the, the, like, I don't, again, I'm not, I'm not a historian either, but I know a lot of the, the Arab uh, Islamic influences. And so that's why they controlled most of those regions in that. And so from it, you have Africa having some Christian influences and then Europe, and then you have the reformation. And then from that colonization happens and then it moves West to the, the, the Americas and the U.S., North and South America. And then you see, again, kind of spirit, there's a spiritual revival in the 18, late 1800s, Great Awakenings. Early 1900s, you have some pretty pr- predominant things. But as that's going on, you see uh, Christianity kind of declining in, in Europe in the, the late 80s and 90s and to where we are now, where it's almost post-Christian. Uh, and now we're kind of on that trek as well. So I have a buddy, he's a... He's a, the missions or the outreach director at our sending church. And he talks about this. Christianity's moved, it moves east to west. So it started in the Holy Land and in, in, in Israel, and it's moved east to west. And so we've seen it take root in Africa as best it can, not in the Arab, kind of the Arab controlled countries in Northern Africa, but we've seen it in Europe. We've seen it in the Americas. We've seen it in Australia, and now we're starting to see it take root in Asia. I mean, you're, the, the church in China is growing crazy, is what people are saying. And so, they he he I think he would say this. I don't want to misquote him, but he thinks that's the time. And then once it finally gets back to, you know, the, to zero, if you will, ground zero, right. then Jesus might come back because uh, all the nations will have heard at that point or have got an opportunity. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. So in Matthew chapter 24, 
Uh, this is one of the thoughts that sparked in my mind a little bit because I've I've heard some of that theology. I've heard some of that idea that once the Great Commission is fulfilled, then Jesus will return. And I was curious maybe where scripturally we got some of that. The best example that I could find was in uh, Matthew 24. Uh, it's the first uh, 14 verses, basically, where Jesus is laying out this um, idea of the end times for his disciples. And so I'm just going to read that, and then we can talk about it. I'm not sure that either of us have like a uh, definite landing spot, but maybe we can shed some light for anybody that's curious about this as well. All right, it says this, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and I will deceive me- and, and they will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that none of you are alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom, here's the part that kind of ties us together, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Uh, I think it's fascinating that we may use that as a case for Jesus will come when all have heard. It seems like to me, at least that is a precursor, but it's in a long line of other precursors or other things that must happen first. I'm not sure that we can necessarily draw a direct line of like A to B. Once this happens, this will then happen. Uh, I also think it's just can be really dangerous for us to even begin to try to predict that. I think if if I were to say, you know, what does Jesus give more of a clear teaching on uh, some evidence of when we should believe or that we just shouldn't look, you know, shouldn't try to predict it. I would say Jesus is much more clear that we should not try to predict or trust any earthly person who's saying the end is this day or at this time, uh, because in his words, it comes like a thief in the night. We should always be prepared that we can get into some of the application of how we uh, should view this as believers. But from my perspective, Jesus is much more clear that there's not a whole lot of merit in trying to predict the end times as opposed to using this as maybe a predictor of when to look for it. I don't know. Does that make sense, Russell? You you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I the the just the baseline question of like, will Jesus comes back after every nation has heard the good news? Uh, I think that's I do think that's something that we can say. I I do think that's a part of the the mission of the church where it's like. There, you get a lot of language of like every tribe, every tongue, every nation. You get a, you know, you'll be my witnesses uh, to the ends of the earth. And so I do think there should, like, so and from a missional standpoint or from an, an evangelism standpoint, to use our favorite <laughs> word. <laughs> from a from a uh, sharing of good news standpoint. From sharing good news, it's like, we well, we should go to places that haven't heard the good news and keep sharing it. And I, I, I'm actually more of the opinion that we should also go back to places that have forgotten the good news that have been shared to past generations. Uh, like we shouldn't give up on Europe. We shouldn't give up on uh, places that maybe are post-Christian at this point. Um, you're, the passage that you're talking about is it's called the Olivet Discourse. And so it's, it's actually a, it's in all four gospels. 
Uh, so it's in Matthew 24 and 25. No, sorry, it's in three Gospels. It's, it's only in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's in Mark 13, and it's in Luke 21. And that's an incredible... Like, we don't have time to to um, really dive into the nuances of it. It's a great thing to study. So I grew up in a tradition where that all was apocalyptic literature that was talking about when Jesus comes back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have since been exposed to different traditions that would say that some of that is actually talking about Jesus's, uh, his, his death and his resurrection and then what will be, what will happen around that. And then some of it still is apocalyptic, but to actually dive into which is which that's where we don't have the time to go into as well. And so, cause it's like, when does, when does the, when do the, the, the gospel writers, uh, when do they flip a switch and say, Hey, I was talking about I was talking about when I was about to die because he's talking about them being persecuted. Like they're, they're alive during this. Mm-hmm. And then he switches to, and the end will come when everyone knows, you know? And so they're, they might've thought they were going to be alive when Jesus was going to come back then. But we clearly 2000 years later go, well, that wasn't for them because they, they've been dead for a long time. Um, and so I, in short, I do think um, I, I'm, I agree with you that, Sometimes we we want predictors and like crystal balls, if you will, to tell us when Jesus is going to come back. You won't find that on this podcast. We don't know. Yeah. I do think the the application for the church is we should be intentional to go find people who have not heard good news and tell them the good news. Not just the people that we love. We should tell people that we don't know because we've experienced this incredible love, and it's and and, and it's worth going and sharing. It's worth giving your life for because Jesus did it. On we, we model our lives after Him, and it's worth it's worth you know giving everything for it so that people will come to know Him so they can experience Him not only in this life but in the life after this. Yeah. Absolutely. I think of it like this, and uh, I don't even know if this is a good way to think about it, but this is what's coming to my brain when you're saying all that is like, so it may not be the indicator. It, it might not be that, you know, and, and we're not saying one way or another, but it might not be the case that once the last person who is going to hear the good news, hears it or believes or whatever, then Jesus in that moment immediately returns or, you know, the however you believe the end times goes, that that whole situation is set off. It might not be that's the case, but it certainly will need to happen for to eventually get to that. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's at least, uh, you know, something. And uh, not only should we be continuing to go, continuing to share, continuing to, um, you know, share good news around the world, but as the commission literally says, make disciples of all nations. I want to go back to what you said earlier, Russell, about not giving up on some communities that may be reached, but are losing out on disciple making or are leaking disciples as the population grows. And so again, it's, you know, we here in the United States is why we believe in church planning. That's why we believe in like local missionaries as well as doing the work of Jesus, doing the work of sharing the good news and disciple making as the commission tells us here in the United States and in all, all areas of the world and not just the unreached places. Yeah. 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 That's well said. Okay. Awesome. Uh, well, is there anything I've got maybe one more thought, but is there anything before, as we wrap up here, I think we're kind of getting to a place where you got to maybe head out, but, uh, I appreciate your time. And, uh, is there anything else that you want to share before we kind of wrap up here? You know, I think, um, if you want to be exposed to like the nations, I think look for, uh, where 
there are people in your city that there might be refugees or people from different parts of the world that you can uh, be exposed to maybe um, the Muslim world or maybe the Hindu world, uh, or maybe there's a part of the world that you like have an affection for or love. Maybe you just want to go on vacation there, but maybe like God's giving you that heart to go on vacation so that you eventually could go and minister and support the missionaries that were in that place. Uh, do research in your city to see, you might be surprised that there might be people from that country that live in your city and that maybe you can get involved in ministering to them. Perfect. I love that. Last thought I have here is one thing that's been evident to me in acts or something that I've kind of begun to recognize for the first time as we've gone through it in our sermon series is that a lot of the times, if you're not paying attention, what you'll miss out on is that so-and-so met Paul or so-and-so planted a church or so-and-so did this because there were no longer allowed to be Jews in this area or persecution was striking or whatever. It's like this idea of the gospel actually is oftentimes spread or shared or good news is shared because of something harmful or something like lawful that was put in place. We just went through Acts chapter 18 on Sunday and uh, this is kind of what sparked this idea in me that Paul runs into this couple who are tent makers and he only runs into them in Corinth because they've been kicked out of the Roman empire basically, or they they're no longer allowed to have Jews in the area that they were living in. And so a lot of times the, the spread of the gospel happens as a result of uh, persecution of laws that are in place that maybe are, are making it more difficult or whatever it may be. And, um, like that idea of going sometimes uh, maybe if you're in a place right now, I don't know why, maybe there's somebody that's listening that just needs to hear this. And if you're having difficulty or if you've been displaced or if something like your faith has caused you to experience hardship, just know that like a lot of times that creates the greatest gospel impact. And that creates the greatest opportunities to go and share this good news that you have. And hopefully it continues to be good news to you, even through your hardship, but it's going to be good news to someone else that's in a hardship as well, or it's struggling as well. And they need to know about it. And maybe you being displaced puts them in an opportunity for you to share that with them. And that's the only time that they're going to have that opportunity. I don't know. That's a lot of hypothetical, but, but that's the, the way that we see a lot of times the good news spread and, and explode throughout uh, the gospels and in the early church. And so uh, that's uh, just a, a tag on here at the end. We love you guys so much. Thanks for checking out this episode of Mission City Church Podcast. We'll be back next week, and we'll get into some, some more uh, concrete strategies for you to begin to, to go and share this good news. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mission City Church Podcast. Mission City Church is a non-denominational church in Mission, Kansas. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at Cinemark 20 off of Johnson Drive and I-35. We also have three community groups that meet every other Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. If you live in the Kansas City area and would like more information, please visit our website at missioncitykc.com or you can email me at jake at missioncitykc.com.